Welcome to FedWatch, a Bitcoin magazine podcast. Before we get into the show, let's give a quick shout out to our sponsors. First and foremost, you know who it is. It is Swan Bitcoin. This is one of the best places to stack stats in America. They are available in 49 states and they look nothing like Coinbase. They look nothing like Kraken. It is not a trading interface. It is really a place that you can send your mom, your aunt, your sister, whoever is not, you don't want them to see some crazy altcoin chart and, you know, all this trading UX. You want them to be saving Bitcoin. Swan, they have this thing, it's called the sentence. You walk through the sentence, you say how much I want to save, how often I want to save it, and to what address I want to send it to. It's really that easy. Check out Swan Bitcoin at swanbitcoin.com. Next up, eToro. For those of you who are into trading, (laughs) check out eToro. eToro is an amazing one-stop shop where you can buy Bitcoin and pull it off the exchange, but you can do so much more. You can index invest. You can test out your TA skills on a virtual platform where it has no real skin in the game, or you can copy trade the best traders. You are passively getting exposure to an active trading strategy. Check out eToro at eToro.com. Last but not least is BISC. BISC is an awesome, awesome application that enables you to buy Bitcoin and sell Bitcoin without having to register with the service. You download the BISC software. You use the BISC software to coordinate with other buyers and sellers, and you can buy Bitcoin in a very, very easy way from the safety of your home without having to participate in KYC or any of that other kind of registration activity. Highly recommend to give BISC a try. Amazing open source project, amazing platform, and again, very, very easy to use. Check out BISC. Ansel, welcome back. It's been uh, a pretty crazy week since the last episode. What's up, Christian? Yeah, how did you enjoy your vacation? Yeah, I mean, uh, went to Yosemite. Uh, it was absolutely beautiful. And uh, COVID silver lining, because of COVID, this was the first weekend that it was open and they had very limited access. And I'm just lucky enough to have my girlfriend's mom be super organized and on top of it and had everything planned. It was very exclusive. And normally in June, Yosemite is absolutely packed. It's like kind of like the Disneyland of national parks. Uh, And it really is incredible. But because of that, summers are crazy, usually not even worth going. And I got to be there in June and it was completely empty. So maybe once in a lifetime opportunity. Wow. Uh, And it was awesome, man. Saw so many wild animals, saw baby cubs. Uh, climbing up a tree took some photos of that before we ran away we did not want to meet mama bear it it, it was a good time feel refreshed and when I got back uh, to reality yesterday looking through like the notes it's just like holy crap the fed is doing what and then this morning uh, with the recent news about um, buying uh, company bonds is that correct yeah buying straight corporate bonds I guess they were corporate bonds It's hard to keep um, all these things straight, but um, I think they were just doing the ETFs originally because I'm pretty sure they've done some of those already. Uh, but yep. this was a promised expansion of that, and that just hit yesterday or the day before. So yeah, now they're doing complete individual corporate bond buying, which, as we said in the last couple episodes, is crazy to think about. 
So I guess, can you break that down a little bit? And then maybe we can get into this idea of like the Fed put. Anybody that just, uh, you know, is uh, studies the market or uh, is interested in investing, they want the market to discover prices. And if you were bailing out, it's different if you're bailing out like very large, systemically important banks, then the argument is a little bit more understandable. You know, like if you let a uh, Bank of America fail or Citigroup or whatever, then that could be devastating to the economy. But if, if you start saying, oh, well, we don't want Southwest Airlines to fail. Well, now it's a lot harder to say, why are you inter, uh, intervening and not letting the market discover prices, basically? Uh, so it's just complete uh, fake market at this point. That, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, what is the Fed put? The, right now, the Fed is talking to Congress or Powell is talking to Congress. And so we definitely want to go through that uh, in the next episode. But for this episode, when we were recording this, uh, I was struggling to find something to talk about. And so I said, well, why don't we just do the Fed put? Because everyone talks about the Greenspan put, the Bernanke put. So what is that? Well, uh, a put option is a contract where you're guaranteed on the downside. So it can't go below a certain level. And any contract, futures contract or derivative that you buy, uh, an options uh, put means that there's limited downside. And now they just ex- uh, applied that to Federal Reserve action. And before 1987, this was kind of unthinkable that the Fed would come in and support asset prices and support the market with a put type action to keep it from dropping. But yeah, in 1987, this is when it all started. Like there's a, there's a history since 1987 um, of, you know, a number of these different uh, interventions. Yeah. Like I said, I'll start in 1987 with the SNL crisis. Greenspan came in and lowered rates. So when you lower rates, you incentivize more risk taking, more credit expansion, and that should put a floor on any sort of drop in the market. So this all started back in 1987, and Greenspan was hailed as a genius, the maestro, they called him. But really, he was just lowering interest rates. And if you go back to, if you go back in the, uh, on, to, on the Fed balance sheet, you go back to this time, they really didn't do much. I mean, they just talked it. They talked down, they, they quote unquote, set the rates lower, but really they were just talking about setting the rates lower, and everybody bought into it. So that kind of goes into today. But so in 1987 with the SNL crisis, then in, in the 90s, we had the Mexican crisis, the Asian crisis, LTCM. Uh, all of these were backed up by the quote unquote Fed put. Um, then the Y2K, the dot-com bust, 9-11 and 2009, every single time the market started turning over to try to discover prices and to um, kind of liquidate bad debt in the system, the Fed stepped in with this Fed put. It has been criticized widely as privatizing gains and socializing losses because, you know, the the owners of the stock, they benefit from it. But the users of the currency, those are the ones that lose because, uh, you know, through inflation and stuff. So they are privatizing the gains of owning the stocks, but socializing the losses through the currency. Well, it makes a lot of sense. And I recently talked to Pierre Richard and he described how, the current system punishes holders of cash and people that are trying to do risk-free savings um, by essentially um, attacking those activities with money printing and then the Cantillion effect, which in this case is going straight into equities and into companies and 
uh, stockholders. It um, perverts or distorts the price signals in the economy. So if you are holding, if you're just uh, stacking cash in your mattress for 10, 20 years to save up for a nice down payment on, on your dream home or something, through uh, all of this Fed action, those those houses are going up in value, and you're 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 actually losing um, access to those to make these big purchases by saving uh, cash money. Uh, so you're incentivized to go into the market and save in stocks or save in other ways. It's very destructive, actually. Ultimately, what the price is supposed to do is it's supposed to summarize all the information into the, in the economy into an actionable piece of information, which is the price. And that's why the efficient market hypothesis and all this stuff say that the price is all the information in the market. So when the Fed essentially, one, creates money and then allocates it in ways to prevent crashes, that messes with the price. And I guess on top of that, price is also measured in, in the unit of account is in said fiat currency. Um, and because that fiat currency doesn't have a predictable supply, it's kind of always changing and, you know, growing exponentially, that too also uh, messes with pricing signals. Um, so it's not only allocation of created money, but it's also the fact that the measuring system of or the unit of account of fiat uh, too is like constantly in flux and difficult to uh, to utilize as a measuring system. Or to be more specific, it's these lines of production in the economy. You know, you have these long supply chains, and and uh, the end product would be a house, say, right? And so you have these long lines of production. Um, well, if those are wasteful, if those aren't the best use of that capital, uh, we would never know because the Fed comes in and. Uh, keeps those people from going bankrupt, and so you st- you continue these m- the malinvestment in these lines of production, and you never let the economy shift gears, so to speak, because uh, it's stuck in this and it grinds down. That's one of the things where I talk about actual deflation is that it doesn't matter how much money you pump into this decrepit line of production, you're not going to get that to produce anymore. So growth stops because this line of production is so bad, so corrupt, so distorted. It doesn't matter how much money you pump in. It's just like flushing that money down the toilet. Yeah. Cause they're doing inefficient activities, you know, mm-hmm. to begin with, and they don't, they have no idea to improve their activities because uh, they're getting bailed out. Like th- imagine, imagine what it would take to actually make airline and air travel. Awesome. We'll never know as long as the Fed is <laughs> continuing to bail these motherfuckers out. So um, until they're allowed to go bankrupt and some other actor is addressing the air travel need and market, you know, we'll never know how to, how, how to improve that. Yeah, and there's all sorts of different industries. I mean, I'm not a, a big green energy person, but I think, look, there's this whole system is built around the petrodollar, or at least it has been for decades. Um, and so solar or wind or nuclear, they're having to fight this, this system to come in and set up this new type of infrastructure. So maybe, yeah, we went Tesla. I could go back on to Tesla for a long time, but imagine Bitcoin as the, the green energy dollar or the, you know, the sad, 
it's like it's it's just backed by the cheapest electricity rather than specifically petroleum. Yeah, I mean the mining stuff is beautifully designed because it competes on the market for that electricity. It, the free market flow of capital, just seeing the amount of energy being spent on Bitcoin mining is actually looking at, you know, a new branch of investment opportunity that wasn't there before. And so that's why I do think that the Bitcoin is going to as all of these production lines grind down, as much money as you want to put in there, you're not going to get growth. But Bitcoin is showing a different way. It's showing a different branch where we can go off into this new line of production that is Bitcoin and uh, get growth over here. Many reasons to be bullish. Uh, <laughs> as we were talking about that, like Bitcoin mining makes energy liquid and mm. it allows people to arbitrage energy prices across the globe. And that is just so powerful. And uh, I don't think that most people think or talk about this enough because I think that in itself, be, that's like, we're not even talking about the sound money aspect of it. Obviously, it's only incentivized because sound money is going to enable um, it to be the value token that everyone wants. But, um, you know, the, the energy aspect is very, very underrated and it's very, very positive for green energy, in my opinion. But we're getting a little of a tangent and this is supposed to yeah. be about the Fed. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Let's get back I, to our next, section. Yeah. Next here is is the Bernanke put. Um, so this is kind of along the lines of all these other puts. Touch well, the this. Greenspan put kind of um, morphed into the Bernanke put, and uh, you know every uh, central banker kind of has their day, as it were. And now we're, we'll have the Powell put. One of my main points here is that it's it's all a belief system, and this put is just what the market believes is there. So that's why it works is because the market believes that there is a fed put on uh, all of these asset classes. So does that exist? I don't know. Is it the confidence only that is there? Probably. That's what I think. You know, every central banker has their day. The, the Greenspan put has transitioned to the Bernanke put into the Powell put. Yellen didn't really have any, <laughs> any, uh, opportunity to to do her thing here but uh, what do you think about the ever increasing amount that's used in this put and is it kind of a law of diminishing returns how do you see that whenever i think about like the increasing activity needed to continue to prop up these broken uh you know supply lines and these broken business chains um I think of the a Jeff Booth interview. So Jeff Booth is a famous investor, successful investor who wrote a book called The Price of Tomorrow. And in the book, he talks about how um, the future needs deflationary money in order to continue to work. And the root of a lot of the issues is because technology is deflationary and it destroys jobs and it makes people much more efficient. Like I'm just thinking about like how my laptop makes me exponentially more efficient. Like my laptop is a very powerful tool for me in making a lot of different kinds of content, broadcasting, writing, organizing remotely. Like this thing is a efficiency machine, but like that also means like I can do maybe what three or four people used to do 10 years ago or, or 20 years ago. So like that destroys jobs. Um, so like the dichotomy between that and the Fed deflating or inflating currency and lowering currency's value and making it hard to store value. Like those things are, are in opposing forces. He thinks that technology is going to win and we need deflationary currency 
um, in order to to protect against that. And so while tech is deflating and creating uh, kind of like job deflation exponentially, the dollar needs to, or this Fed action needs to also increase exponentially to keep up with it. So Jeff Booth really cranks it up to technology, but I think there's many factors that are in play here. Um, Also, the weight that they has to put on his back is also increasing exponentially too. Um, So uh, there's a lot of exponential increases and things going on here. And it makes sense that every single action has to be so much greater in order to Uh, stimulate the same effect. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, One thing that I would throw out there as a thought is um, that the form of money is what drives the technology growth. So we uh, subconsciously are driven to innovate because of the inflation in the money. If we had low inflation, we probably would innovate less. That's my... um, You think so? I think maybe so, we yeah. would consume less, but I don't. I don't know if we would necessarily innovate less. Uh, I think that everything that we would do would be more aligned with what needs to happen. So maybe we would waste time less. Well, I think there's a give and take. So uh, as we innovate more, maybe we have more room to inflate. Like this is all subconscious. This is not conscious. This is just like from an animal instinct perspective. And uh, so as we innovate more, we can inflate more. And as we inflate more, we can innovate more. And it's kind of like a self-reinforcing loop. But I, I, I do believe that uh, if we had more sound money, we would innovate less. Now, I'm not saying that we would innovate less importantly. I think the important innovations would still happen, right? Like electricity or uh, internal combustion or whatever. Those uh, radio, those things would have happened, but not like how can we make the cheapest plastic bottle Right. Or how can we make the iPhone 10 instead of the iPhone seven? You know, those little innovations along the way would be replaced by larger leaps, more spread out. I hope that that makes sense. So I I understand with what you're saying. I just dislike how you're framing it (laughs) because you're, you're, you're saying it in a way that you're saying like, we will innovate less as in you're saying innovate is like these iterative like actions but I think we would waste less time. Like we would, we would make things last longer and maybe software would utilize chips differently. Like right now, the only reason Apple can make money is by selling hardware. So therefore they put in planned obsolescence into the software rather than saying like, how can I get the most out of this hardware, which Bitcoin does. Bitcoin is about getting the most out of your damn hardware whether it's a node or whether it is a miner, like Bitcoin does not waste hardware, but the, the fiat system wastes hardware. Um, and the fiat system is like, holy crap, this hardware is getting exponentially better. So we have to make our software exponentially more inefficient. So that way we can continue to justify selling new hardware. Bitcoin's about aligning incentives. Um, and I think that that is innovative. Like you're talking about the, yeah. depre- the, the deflation that's going to happen because of misaligned um, capital allocation and poor and mal yeah. allocation of capital like that is bad like so that's not innovating in my opinion i think yeah. that's just spinning your wheels yeah i remember uh in college I, I lived with some swedish roommates and they were watching like commercials on tv uh and there was all of these like you know 
hey, this thing can be used to fry an egg in 30 seconds in your microwave or this thing, uh, look at this new gizmo, right? Like all these infomercials. And they said, only in America. Like that wasn't on their TVs back home. It was in America because it's like a fiat driven innovation, right? Um, everyone's trying to make their little gizmo a little bit different so that they can look like they're innovating. Now that won't happen in, in a sound, more sound money or hard money system. But again, we will still have these big innovations like um, who said that Peter Thiel with the zero to one is there will be many more zero to ones, but there won't be as many uh, one to two to three to four. You know what I mean? Man, so we got two tangents on That's, this episode. Yeah, way, way, way I, I, I'm, I'm loving it. No, we, we want more of this. Um, let's get into the ECB because I think what's happening in the Fed is obviously important, but it's becoming really obvious that the Fed does not control everything. So it's important to pay attention to the rest of the world too. Yeah. So I just pulled some stuff up here. Maybe we can t- chat about this. Um, so we're still waiting on the German courts, how they will react to this new QE stuff that they're doing over there. Um, but also in this article that I link, it's talking about the Italian debt surging. And you can see like Greece and Italy and Portugal and Spain, they're all like really going far over a hundred percent of debt to GDP. Uh, so it could, we haven't heard any of these things blowing up yet, but I can see how, uh, all of this money printing is going to uh, really drag on these pigs again. I'm just waiting to see what the the German the German courts do. Um, I think that this idea that we that I dropped last episode, inflation without representation is going to yeah. become a problem. In the U.S., at least there's some representation there. Like the people can speak up if they wanted to. Um, I think potentially and demand change, but it seems as though. Um, that's not a thing in Europe. There, there is no representation. Yeah, exactly. The ECB tells them to sit down and shut up. We're going to do what we need to do to, for Europe. And if that hurts Germany, if that hurts Poland, like they are, they need to just get along with the process. So I, yeah, I agree. There's going to be some major um, repercussions. Um, do you want to talk about these currency swaps? These are just to touch on it real quickly. You know, they had a bunch of currency swaps, uh, that started in March for during, um, you know, the big market crash. What's that? Yeah. In response to COVID. Yeah. In response to COVID and the big market crash and stuff. And they, they, all of these swaps have an 84 day maturity. So they're all starting to come due now. And this uh, is going to be represented as a, uh, roughly a $400 billion um, rush into dollars to pay these off. So um, I'm really watching the dollar and how it responds over the next couple of weeks, because uh, this could be a big surge in demand, another dollar shortage type event. Yep. I'm sure uh, Jeff Snyder is also going to be covering that closely. He's one of my favorite resources in the Euro dollar system. Absolutely. So it seems as though riots have slowed down, although I have to say that everywhere I can tell there is less social distancing, there's less lockdown. <laughs> I personally think that that's a good thing, but um, it does appear as though COVID is also up. So um, U.S. cases are up. I just saw a headline today about Beijing closing down schools. I hate what China does because I feel like everything they do is wrong and then people copy it. Yeah, what are your, what are your takes here? I don't know. I'm, I have mixed feelings about the lockdowns and about the COVID stuff. Uh, but I kind of try to 
a step back and look at it from like an anthropological perspective. This is ha- this happened. What are the, the the consequences of this? And isn't it interesting that you know human these human animals can go from one extreme to another extreme uh, seemingly overnight? But yeah, I agree. The riots just totally disregarded anything about the virus, and now the virus is coming back. And when the riots seem to be kind of ebbing, maybe a little bit, now the virus is coming back. So uh, people's fight or flight you know, their adrenaline levels are st- are staying elevated during this whole time, which is very interesting. Yeah, last week on the, on my podcast, uh, POV Crypto, Matt O'Dell said he thought that Twitter had no nuance, but now he's realizing that the world just doesn't have any nuance. And <laughs> I can't imagine any more of a like real life example of that than social distancing, lockdown to riots. It's, it's definitely just extreme fear, extreme anger, not, not a whole lot of nuance there. And there's so many followers, the listeners to this podcast and you and I, we are, we think for ourselves, right? A huge percentage of people out there will just follow and do whatever they're told. And it's scary to see that in this type of situation. Uh, it just makes that evident, very, very evident. Yeah, it is scary. Um, I mean, it's not, I, I think I wrote a paper on this in college, but um, I was talking about like, it's not. Like how did how did the Nazis happen? Because the the Nazis did such extreme horrible things. Like, mm-hmm. and you look at the German people right now. Like, I, I have many great friends that are Germans living in Germany, German born through and through. Um, they're German, and like they're fantastic people. Like, how did these same people be, be, be the Nazis? And I don't think it's crazy to think that America could have its own form of that. Absolutely. And if, I mean, if you go far enough into the future, it will happen. Um, I don't think like we're past this It is going to happen again. Uh, it's just a matter of like what form it takes. And I don't know, we could go on a long tangent about this too. Like, let's keep talking about what's happening in the real world. Um, <laughs> Lebanon itself is kind of g- getting to the end of their own fiat experiment. Um, let's, I mean, you, you have some, some facts here. Um, I also can, can throw in some commentary too. Yeah. Um, you've done some episodes or something on this recently. So why don't you, uh, fill us in? I did not do episodes. Uh, Dave Hollerith, one of our former writers, um, did two fantastic podcasts on Bitcoin magazine podcast. Uh, I believe it was like two months ago, but they're titled, uh, Bitcoin in Lebanon. And really what's happened is, uh, Lebanon's banks were uh, insuring, uh, insuring really high interest rates on dollar deposits. And there are a Lebanese people living abroad um, that were sending money into Lebanon. That money was going into Lebanon banks with super high savings rates on them, insured mm-hmm. saving rates on them. Um, and the Lebanese central bank was then using those dollars to essentially manipulate the Lebanese currency and pay off their own debts. Now they're, they have massive dollar liabilities. They have absolutely no dollars and uh, they can't pay it off. The Lebanese pound has, which was once a quote unquote stable coin pegged to the dollar has hyperinflated. It's already inflated by, I believe four X just this year, um, which is extremely painful. Imagine all of your value getting cut by 75%. Um, that's, that's really bad. People are riding in the streets. Uh, the head of the, the, I guess the president or the head of the government has already stepped down 
months ago and things have have just gotten worse. There's never been greater currency controls and being able to, to pull your value out. It's starting to look a lot like Venezuela in terms of the conditions on the street and the monetary system. I remember back, I think it was January or February, they defaulted on some euro bonds. And so euro bonds... Their first time ever. Yeah. The first time they had ever defaulted. Huh. And euro bonds are denominated in dollars. So this is a part of the euro dollar system. Uh, So these are, I think it was 5 billion and their GDP is only 50 billion or maybe 60 billion. I think their GDP, it's a significant portion of their entire GDP that they defaulted on. So um, you could kind of see the waves starting back then. Uh, and yeah, it's gotten violent. I just saw some, they're burning their central bank or they're burning. They're some burning buildings. banks. So maybe yeah, they, they've, they've gone from retail banks to central banks, but I don't, I don't hundred yeah. percent know. But yeah, <laughs> you, you have the discrepancy here. The, the unofficial is five, uh, sorry, 15,000. And the official exchange rate is 5,000 Lebanese pounds per dollar. Quite a discrepancy between the, the official exchange rate and what the, the real market is saying. Yeah, because it's still like the official exchange rate is still supposed to be pegged to the dollar. So if you look at the chart, like on TradingView, it's just, it's right there within uh, a few percentage points of the peg. But then when you go into the the media and you look at all these unofficial reports out there, uh, yeah, it's as high as 5,000 Lebanese pounds per dollar. It's crazy. So, I mean, what is the difference between, you know, in in practice, what the Lebanese bank is doing with its currency and what the U.S. Fed is doing with our stock market and the assets <laughs> that they're purchasing? Oh, man, that's a hard question. Uh, well, I mean, I think the bottom line for the Lebanese thing is that uh, they they can't control, they can't print dollars, right? So they have a bunch of debts and dollars that they can't uh, they can't meet because uh, they can't print dollars, but I don't know how that necessarily translates over to the stock market. But what, what do you mean? No, I guess I was, what I was asking is like, so the fed is like the fed is essentially putting a put on the stock market and Mm -hmm. effectively what this official exchange rate is, is like at least trying to like make belief, put a put on the value of the currency. (laughs) I, I mean, is there, I'm just trying to draw um, some sort of like similarity to these kind of central bank tactics. Yeah, that's very interesting saying that this, the official exchange rate is a put on, on the currency. Um, huh. But at they, least trying to enforce it. I mean, it's not really a put, but. Yeah, but you, you have to go out into the market and actually protect that. That's one of the problems with um, uh, all of these smaller emerging market currencies, they do, a lot of them do have significant uh, U.S. dollar reserves. But when they, when they have to protect their currency, they actually have to go out and sell dollars and buy their own currency. And if you do that long enough, uh, you run out of dollars. So they, their exchange rate is dependent on the free market. Yeah. And with- so, I mean, what hard money does to countries keeps them at least a little honest but I mean, we we're never going to get any honesty out of out of the Fed. I don't think. Um, let's jump to Bitcoin right off the bat. Bitcoin with a fifteen percent difficulty adjustment coming up, uh, one of the biggest uh, and extremely bullish. 
Yeah, just happened today, 14.95%, pretty big. And again, this is on a flat price. We talked about this on the last episode. Uh, So the price is slightly down, I think, from last week when we talked. And uh, But the hash rate is just screaming north. So uh, very interesting things happening under the surface in the CapEx, I guess you would call it, uh, section of Bitcoin. What is your take? Bullish. Uh, we <laughs> talked about this. Bitcoin hash rate is going up. Old machines are still getting used and made more efficient going to lower electricity areas. Uh, Bitcoin does not waste. And I think that the thermodynamic wall of security around Bitcoin is just getting more and more dominant. It's just amazing to watch. CME options are growing 10x, um, or 10x last month. Kyle Davies of Three Arrows Capital um, is very bullish on options in the cryptocurrency space in general. Any comments here on CME? Kyle is extremely bullish on CME and, and Deribit and all other kind of options trading in Bitcoin. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, Deribit had a stranglehold on this market and then CME launched their options. I think it was in January or something this year. Uh, and so they're still continuing to grow at this breakneck pace. Uh, I hope it continues. I think it will continue. One thing uh, from the article that I linked here that is interesting is that a CME representative, I'm not sure exactly who it is, said that uh, they have no plans to introduce additional cryptocurrency products. So that means no Ethereum futures and no Ethereum options on the CME. Liquidity begets liquidity. And at some point going, I feel like, an early exchange model is going horizontal on altcoins, right? So that means mm-hmm. list Bitcoin, but list a bunch of other altcoins and do one thing with all of those coins, right? Like trade. The new and emerging business model in exchanges and brokerages is going vertical on the best quality assets, the assets that are worth investing into. Bitcoin is number one on that list. And I think that Lead is just going to keep compounding its dominance across many factors, but especially liquidity. Yeah, I don't know where I heard this from. It might have been from you on one of your POV uh, episodes, a liquidity moat. Uh, you know, Bitcoin is just getting this moat worth of liquidity around it, so it will not be uh, approached by any of these altcoins. It's, it's just too far out ahead, and it continues to pull away. I mean, and I, I have a lot of comments about why Bitcoin's moat is so much more dominant than Ethereum's, but I don't think we need to get uh, into <laughs> that on this podcast. Yeah, you're well-versed um, in that from your other show. While everyone pays attention to the Bitcoin USD price, that's not the only price for Bitcoin. There's a lot of prices for Bitcoin that are denominated in other fiat currencies. And if you look around the world, Bitcoin is hitting all-time highs across several. The one that I've been looking at recently uh, is Argentina. I think it's already 2x over its all-time high. And Brazil is real close to getting to its all-time high, almost there. Uh, so just like in gold, it's it's funny, like the gold guys have been saying for a couple of years now, oh, gold is hitting all-time highs in every currency other than the United States dollar. And now this is starting to happen to Bitcoin too. So um, very interesting to another thing i saw a chart on twitter that was showing like the days since the all-time high well a lot of these things aren't applicable anymore right because there's so many other currencies that have already hit their all-time high i just kind of consider this a bull market in general Um, you can't even compare it to the last all-time high so we'll eventually just start going north we are officially in a bull market in in your mind 
Yeah, I, I believe so. I think we were in a, a bull market since, uh, you know, the bottom there at last year, middle of 2019, we've been in a bull market. Okay. Cause I remember on, on Bitcoin and markets, you've been, I, I would say generally you've been calling for flat or down, you've been calling for consolidation. So curious when you, when you went full bull. I was saying for a long time that this isn't quite the time when we're going to take off uh, with a huge move to the upside. Um, of course, I was wrong on that last year, in the middle of last year. We did take off from 3000 to 14000 um, But yeah, after that strong move, we've been consolidating for about a year again. So it's kind of like a mini bear market, I guess you could say. But I do think uh, from a very zoomed out perspective, we are in a bull market started in the middle of 2019. I'm always bullish. So long-term <laughs> thinking people keep yeah, stacking sats. I posted, I posted, don't trade DCA, be humble. I know Ansel appreciates trading, but uh, for most people, it's just not the right strategy. Let's get into some exiting questions here. Yeah, you want to start off? Yes. <laughs> so uh, I just came up with these. We can, we can expand on them if you want to. But uh, So what is your favorite meal? And to think about this, like if you were fasting for three days and you were going to break your fast, what would you break your fast with? What's your favorite meal? This is my favorite meal that I make. It's a oven roasted whole chicken. And I know a lot of the, the steak eaters out there are going to be pissed that it's not steak. <laughs> you guys, if you, it's like so freaking easy to do a whole chicken in the oven. And one, you save a lot of money because it's way cheaper than buying chicken breast. Two, mm-hmm. it tastes way better. Uh, and then it's really easy and you get the dark meat, you get the breast, you get all the good stuff, turn the bones into soup later. It's, it's the most Bitcoin uh, mentality you can take towards, uh, towards making a meal and it's so good. So if I had to fast for three days, which I wouldn't, um, I would love to have my whole roasted chicken. <laughs> what about but, turkey? Yeah. You like turkey? Because that's really related there. Yeah, turkey's great too, but it's not the same to me. I take a ribeye yeah. over turkey. Yeah. My, my stuff is that, um, I just, I cook a lot of meat and the cheapest, easiest thing for me to cook is burgers. So I usually do burgers with no bun. Uh, sometimes I put onions with it, grill up the onions, but, um, yeah, that's probably my favorite meals, just burgers and onions. Okay. So you caramelize onions. Yep. Caramelize onions. And, and sometimes like, I like the spice. So I had to put a little cayenne on there. Right. And a little bit of salsa. Oh man, it's good. Um, what's your next obsession after Bitcoin? I can't think of what that, when that's going to happen, but. <laughs> well, no, don't you have a, don't you have like something else besides Bitcoin that you keep, keep tabs on and you follow up like any field of science or anything like that that you follow? Watch the markets in general, pay attention to the sports that matter, go backpacking nice. and then a lot of Bitcoin. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a sci-fi guy and, uh, so I'm always been interested in space and cosmology and stuff like that. So that's probably one of my guilty obsessions. I watch lots of YouTube about different science, outer space stuff. That's awesome. Are you like really big into watching SpaceX? <laughs> no, I actually live kind of close over here in Florida. So a lot of people are pretty obsessed with it. But no, it's uh, I don't I don't follow that all that much because I'm, I'm more about the science of it and not about like watching SpaceX launch, but I've heard it's really awesome. 
Gotcha. I mean, but do you like follow what like the developments in space travel and technology and all that stuff closely? Because I know a lot of Bitcoiners are they're into Bitcoin and they're into space. <laughs> yeah, um, mainly science, like dark matter stuff or different discoveries that they make out there with the, you know, cause they're able to peer farther and farther back in time and further and further out away uh, and get more clear images with different um, spectrums and things. Uh, so I, I keep track of a lot of that, but not necessarily how many satellites they SpaceX launched this month, something like that. I don't, sure. yeah, don't follow that stuff. Would you go to space? <laughs> Uh, not for a million. That's what SpaceX is selling it for. How about you? What, I mean, what, if it was affordable, slightly experimental still, would you do it? Uh, yeah. If my kids were grown, uh, I don't think you? so. You don't think you would? Yeah. I'm just going to keep posted. I'm a pretty, uh, risk averse guy. Well, this is a good show, man. I, I, I like how this is evolving. I feel like a lot of facts, but we're, the conversation is starting to, to eke in in the, the tangents. So everyone out there, uh, give us your feedback. I think we're going to do a Q&A soon. You know, I, this, is, this is really turning in my mind to how, how I keep up with like, what's happening in the macro world. Obviously, these central banks are taking a big, big role in everything with our lives. So I can't imagine a show more important to listen to as a Bitcoiner uh, than a show that both combines Bitcoin and um, these, these higher level macro topics. I 100% agree. I think <laughs> that how Bitcoin, like in 2015, 16, uh, Bitcoin was worried about altcoins, worried about the hard fork, worried about those things. Now the, the vision, you can definitely feel the vision has turned to the U S dollar. Uh, the vision has turned to more macro side things. And this show kind of just symbolizes how, the thinking has shifted. Uh, one thing that we did notice when we changed the name of the show from WTF to uh, Fed Watch, we did notice a little bit of a dip in uh, the download numbers. Uh, so, you guys, same great content. Nothing has changed. Honestly, I think Fed Watch is a better name. So, uh, make sure you're sharing this out. Give us some love. Give Bitcoin Magazine some reviews. Of course, follow Ansel. Follow Bitcoin and Markets, one of the best podcasts out there still in Bitcoin. Um, and make sure to give me a follow at CK underscore Snarks. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instrument. Do your own research. Mm-hmm.